Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. This will be part four in our discussion of Vicarious Atonement, Origins and Correct Understanding, Rabbinic Judaism Conceals, Christianity Misrepresents. Now, we ended part three where I basically was beginning to discuss the power of a tzaddik's merit. Okay, and I discussed that, and we, we went through some, some passages from the Chumash, which is the first five books of Moses and its commentary, and I showed there that basically there is a long-established foundational belief within rabbinic Judaism that the power of a tzaddik can actually atone for people, that a tzaddik can effect atonement for other individuals. That was proven in the last discussion. And as I said then, there were many, many, many more proofs I could have provided from Rabbinic Judaism's own material, but that should have been enough to establish the fact. And you can go back, you can go read a Kumash yourself, um, you can do a Google search or a search on a Jewish website for the term tzaddik, and if you want to spell it in English, that's T-Z-A-D-D-I-K. And you'll likely find similar material. But there is no doubt at all, no doubt, that Rabbinic Judaism, Akiva Judaism, does teach vicarious atonement through a tzaddik or tzaddik. And we're going to even prove that more directly and powerfully in this part, in part four. Now, before beginning that, I want a, a quick statement. In part three, I also mentioned a quote from James, the epistle of James, where I mentioned how he says, the power of a tzaddik availeth much, that the tzaddik has a lot of power. Actually, the verse mentions the prayers of a tzaddik or the prayers of a righteous person, but it's the power of those prayers that actually causes the tzaddik or the righteous person to possess such power. It's so the it's it's actually it's not the prayer, it's the power of the person praying. And when a truly righteous person prays, that prayer has much power. And I just wanted to point that out because there are people out there that will say, well that's not what it says. You misquoted the New Testament, you idiot. It says the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. Yeah, but it's because of the power of those prayers. Therefore, the power of a righteous person availeth much, according to the epistle of James. Okay, now, what we're going to get into here is the way of God. I mentioned Moshe Kam Lazato's book, Derek Hashem, or known in English as The Way of God, and how that is the primary source material for this discussion. And now we're going to get to that. And this is where it really gets interesting. So, also let me point out, this will probably be the longest podcast in the series because I want to just push through it and finish it. So I don't know how long it will last. Hopefully I can keep it under an hour. But this will probably be longer than the previous three parts. So here we go. And if you're following along in the written material from the website, we're at the middle of page 12. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. The way of God. That's the 
material we're going to be using, the book The Way of God by Moshe Kamenizato, published by Feldheim Publishers. To limit the amount of material quoted from the book The Way of God, I am not including the sections from that book which detail all the mechanics of how atonement is achieved. Instead, I very strongly advise you to obtain the book for yourself and read it, as well as other books authored by Ramkal or Moshe Kalmazato and published by Feldheim Publishers, and they can all be obtained from Amazon, from the Amazon bookstore. However, even within the portion that I do quote within this discussion, the clarification can be seen to some extent, that is, the clarification of how atonement is achieved. Indeed, if someone with an understanding of the New Testament were to read or hear what you're about to hear, quoted from the book The Way of God, without the advantage of knowing from where the quotes come, they would likely be mistaken for writings from a well-informed Christian writer with an in-depth knowledge of the correct interpretation of a fundamental New Testament teaching. The thought that what you're going to hear originates from a foundational Torah understanding within Rabbinic Judaism would likely never enter the mind of a Christian if they were to hear this material. Now, on with the first set of several quotes which prove beyond any doubt that Rabbinic Judaism does teach that atonement for an individual, group, generation, nation, and even every generation of mankind going all the way back to Gan Eden or the Garden of Eden can be facilitated through the sufferings of someone else. In other words, Akiva Judaism or Rabbinic Judaism absolutely does teach vicarious atonement. Now, all the quotes are taken from Part 2, Chapter 3 of the book, The Way of God. So here's the first quote. And again, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm quoting from a highly revered Jewish rabbi, and this is a book from that rabbi, Moshe Kaimlazato, excuse me, Moshe, Moshe Kaimlazato, known at, by the acronym Ramkal. Okay, this is a Jewish book, a book you can find probably in just about any Orthodox synagogue. So, quote, Besides this, there is also... Now, he's continuing here. Again, I'm not quoting all the material. If you, if you want to go to Part 2, Chapter 3 and read it, you'll see where this comes from. This is a direct quote. So, it's a continuation of a discussion of atonement and of other things. So, quoting, Besides this, there is another concept that stems from both the individual and general aspects of providence discussed earlier. When the highest wisdom, that is God, considered everything needed to rectify or correct the human race and make it into the perfected community discussed earlier, it saw that this goal will be furthered if some people could benefit from Excuse me, if some people could benefit others and help them attain a place in this community. Now, the community he's speaking of here is basically the community of heaven, the community of Alamaba. Continu continuing with the quote 
the rule that the community of the future world would be restricted only to those who attain perfection in their own right is therefore not absolute. For it was also decreed that an individual can reach a level where he can partake of perfection and be included in this community as the result of his association with a more worthy individual. Did you hear that? The only difference is that he, that is the one who doesn't attain it in his own right, will remain on a lower level since he is not included in this community in his own right, but only through association with another. And that ends the quote from the way of God. So, within the first quote, it is directly stated that an individual, despite their lesser spiritual condition, their lesser form of righteousness, can achieve a higher spiritual level due to their association with a more worthy individual. These are not quotes taken from Christian literature. They are quotes from one of Judaism's most revered rabbis of history, as I said, Rabbi Moshe Kamlazato, and he will expand upon the topic further in the following quotes from the Way of God. Now, contextually, within Ramkal's writing from which the quotes are taken is a continuing discussion of rewards and punishment and how rectification or correction is achieved for individuals and, to a grander extent, for creation in general. The Hebrew word for rectification is tikkun, and you will often read and hear discussions of tikkun within rabbinic Judaism's literature. The community to which he refers is the olam haba, or the world to come, roughly speaking, as a result of Christianity's pagan Greco-Roman mindset, this is similar to what Christians would call heaven, or at least the concept is similar. The Torah-based faith teaches that mankind shares in creation. Briefly stated, and this is important, briefly stated, mankind broke it, therefore mankind has got to fix it. Of course, that repair does not occur without the substantial assistance of the Almighty Creator. The concept of tikkun, or repair, is a central and foundational ingredient. Each and every person has a role to play. There are no exceptions, though Judaism teaches that only the Jews can perform tikkun or tikkun. That is one difference between Rabbinic Judaism, which I call Akiva Judaism, and the New Testament faith of Yeshua Judaism. Each one of us provides sustenance to one of two realms, either the realm of holiness and light or the realm of impurity and darkness. Every one of our actions, words, and thoughts empower one of those two realms and contributes to either repair of creation or further damage to creation. The primary tikkun or repair is within oneself. We are born with the will to receive from God for ourselves alone, which is ego and a selfish nature. The task of us all is to transform that into a will to receive for the sake of heaven 
and our fellow man, that is, dying to self and becoming selfless. To the extent that we succeed or fail, one of those two realms, holiness and light, or darkness and, and impurity, is strengthened. Ultimately, we are responsible for ourselves. However, the Eternal One, God, has a plan to assist us, and that plan is to utilize the purity of a tzaddik, or righteous person, to take upon himself or herself the suffering that we are due. That is the concept we're currently discussing. The fact that a tzaddik will take upon himself the suffering that we are due for our transgressions. I cannot, in a few paragraphs, properly explain the concept of tikkun. I, rec I recommend the book being quoted for more information, that is, the book The Way of God, as well as the book In the Shadow of the Ladder by Mark and Yadida Cohen. There are many books which discuss this topic, especially those based upon Ram Call's work or Moshe Kamlazato's work. In time, if the Most High wills, I hope to eventually have the time and energy to show that tikkun, that is, spiritual correction and repair, is actually a central focus of the New Testament, and that if the New Testament is properly interpreted, it can be shown to be a basic manual for undertaking tikkun, an understanding that largely agrees with what is taught within Judaism today, within rabbinic Judaism, despite the denials put forth by many people within Judaism. They would deny it, but actually the New Testament teaches much of the same thing that rabbinic Judaism teaches. Now, continuing with the quotes from The Way of God. Quote, The only ones who are cast aside completely from perfection, therefore, are those who are not worthy of it at all, neither through their own merit nor through association with another. Because of this, the rule, or excuse me, because of this, the number who are saved from annihilation and allow the ultimate bliss is maximized, end quote. Now, I recommend that it would be useful for you to print out this article from the Torah Messiah website, the article on Vicarious Atonement. That way you will see the quotes themselves and you will have them in your hands those very quotes, because as I go through, I'll be making comments between quotes, and it may be difficult for you to maintain the flow of the quotes, of what's actually being discussed, but if you have the quotes, you can always look back and see them, the quotes. Each time I make a quote, there, there it is, and you can see what it is, because I'm going to be commenting between each quote and explaining it, all right? So I very highly, I strongly encourage you to please print out, it's in PDF format, Print out the article from the Tor Messiah website if you wish to follow along. All right, now continuing. I just made that quote. I'll go ahead and quote it again just because of I just got through rambling and I may have confused people. So here's the second quote. Quote, The only ones who are cast aside completely from perfection, therefore, are those who are not worthy of it at all, meaning, meaning here basically a truly wicked or evil, evil person, neither through their own merit nor through association with another. Because of this, the number who are saved from annihilation and allowed the ultimate bliss is maximized, end quote. Now, note the distinction Ramkal just made between a person's own merit and the merit obtained, 
quote, through the association with another individual, end quote. Once again, we see that an individual can benefit from the merit of someone else. Of course, his statement was couched within the description of those who will not receive eternal life. Nevertheless, the concept is mentioned, the concept that we can benefit from the merit of someone else. In the last quote, we see the superior grace and love that an embrace of Torah brings to the faith versus Christianity's tragic ignorance and rejection of Torah. There are many such teachings of mercy and grace found in Torah-based literature. Throughout history, Christianity has often forced itself upon others, damned, shown cold hatred, or tortured and killed those who differ. The correct Torah-based faith of the New Testament exhibits far more mercy and kindness and properly represents the true God as being far more compassionate, kind, merciful, and just than does Christianity. Few Christianities are aware of the horribly despotic and cruel, unparalleled cruel history of Christianity. All Christians need to become aware of Christianity's past terrorism. As I said before in part three, Christianity by far is the most notorious, bloodthirsty, and brutal terrorist organization that has ever existed primarily because of the length of time that their terror spree went. I mean, it, it, it lasted for centuries, over a thousand years. No other terrorist organization even comes close to the horrible history of Christianity. Unlike Christianity as it currently exists, the true Torah faith of the New Testament, Yeshua Judaism, opens wide the doors to eternal life and does not shut them in the face and cast into this mythical hell those who dare to disagree. The Torah-based faith does indeed contain far more grace and mercy than does standard Christianity's dogmas. It teaches, that is, the Torah-based faith, the true faith of the New Testament, teaches the truth that only the most wicked and evil will actually be completely destroyed to a state of non-existence. All others will go through a purification that occurs in two places, either in this world and after death in a place set aside for purification before one is allowed to enter into the world to come, Olam Haba. That is, that purification either takes place in this world through suffering that we endure in this life or it occurs after death, in the afterlife, in Gehenna, a place of purification. It has been my experience that some Christians revel in a sense of glee and satisfaction when they tell others that they are going to hell. I mean, there are Christians, I am sure, they actually like saying that. They seem to enjoy condemning people to hell. A lot of Christians are like that. For sure, some of the past popular preachers did and still do enjoy, they, or at least they appear to enjoy it. However, the New Testament does not teach such treacherous and maniacal nonsense. Instead, it is because the truths of the New Testament and the original faith of and in Yeshua, or Jesus, have simply been grotesquely misinterpreted 
and misapplied by those Christians for the reasons I discuss elsewhere. The actual New Testament is nowhere near as brutal and damning as are many within Christianity and as is Christianity's doctrines. The most wicked people will indeed be destroyed forever and cease to exist in the hereafter. Basically, the extent of their wickedness leaves them incapable of a purification. They can't be purified enough. So they're incapable of enduring a purification, which they can withstand. Such So like a garment, like a shirt, for instance, like a shirt that is so stained and filthy that it cannot be cleaned, it is basically tossed aside. It's thrown away because the, the stains are too are so severe that the cleaning eventually destroys the shirt. Well, that's what happens with wicked people. They go through a purification that eventually destroys them, and that is what is called eternal death. They cease to exist. This causes such people to forfeit any hope of eternal life and to lose that life, that is, they suffer eternal death during the purification process. Nevertheless, that purification occurs over a finite and finite period of time, unlike Christianity's eternal, never-ending, torturous, pagan Roman mythological hell. My friend, hell, as taught within Christianity, is not biblical. It is based solely on ancient Babylon sun god worship, which eventually evolved into Roman paganism, and it actually promotes God as a torture God. The God of Christianity, the God who will cast people into hell and keep them alive eternally solely so they can endure pain forever, that is a torture God, my friend. That is not the true God of the Bible. That is a God of torture. Christianity actually promotes a God of torture. And yet they say, oh, but he's loving and merciful. Excuse me. We're talking about that is the Christian God. He will keep people alive, according to Christianity, forever. Forever. He will keep them feeling pain. Forever. That's a God of torture. That is not a God of mercy. And Christianity goes further by saying, no matter how nice and good and righteous a person is, if they reject Jesus... God's going to keep them alive forever in hell. That it is a torture God. Christianity is despicably blaspheming and defaming God with their promotion of an eternal hell. There is no eternal hell. There is no torture God. And how dare you disgrace and profane the loving, merciful creator God by saying he is a torture God, which is exactly what Christianity does. It is no wonder why so many people reject the God of Christianity and despise Christianity and despise Christians because Christianity is trying to force them to accept a God of torture, a God who will keep people alive solely and only for the reason, only for the reason that they can endure unspeakable pain. But this God, according to Christianity, is going to keep them alive just to hurt them, just to inflict pain forever. 
My friend, that is what the Christian hell is. It is a place where God will keep people conscious of pain forever. No, that is not the God of Scripture. That is the God of pagan Rome. And Christians, you need to stop profaning God and actually learn a little bit, learn what the afterlife really is, which you're not going to learn from Christianity. You've got to learn it from Torah. The hell of Christianity does not exist. There will be eternal death, but eternal death is just that, death. You cease to exist, and that's what's going to happen to the truly wicked. Once they're purified they're to a state that they cannot endure, they will cease to exist. There will be purification. There will be punishment for the wicked, but they will not be eternally, eternally tortured. They will simply cease to exist. And I won't go down that rabbit trail, but that's one of the most despicable things Christianity teaches. And they can say what they want. Christian, if you don't like this, I don't care. If you believe in a hell, if you believe in the Christian hell, you are openly and directly stating that God is a God of torture. That is what Christianity promotes. And it is false. It is blasphemous. And you need to stop profaning God. You need to stop desecrating his character by portraying him as a a heartless God of torture. May the eternal creator hasten the day that Christianity is corrected and returned to its original purity and truth, Yeshua Judaism, a truth that is entirely based on Torah and a truth devoid of the severity and far-reaching extent of the anti-Torah errors of Christianity. Continuing with the quotes from the Way of God, quote, Those who cause others to partake in that world to come will definitely be the foremost in that community. They will be the leaders, while those who enter by virtue of their association with them will be beholden and dependent upon them. End quote. Now notice, those who, the, the tzaddik, those who share merit, will be the leaders in the world to come, or in heaven. Those who are there, that is in heaven, because of their association with those leaders, will be beholden and dependent on them in the world to come. So here, Remkal is referring to what the New Testament also teaches, which is that those who assist others in rectification, most notably Messiah Yeshua, will be the leaders in the world to come. Additionally, all who are gifted with eternal life through the suffering of the Tzadikim in the New Testament's case, through the suffering of Yeshua, will be beholden and dependent to them, that is, to those Tadakim and to Yeshua, meaning they will be the leaders in the eternal world. Now, continuing with the quote, In order for this to be possible, all men were originally bound to each other. As our sages teach us, all Israel are responsible for one another. As a result of this, each individual is bound to everyone else, and no man is counted separately. God's attribute of good is the stronger, however, and if the guilt for sin is shared by others, this must certainly be true of the merit associated with good deeds. End quote. Notice, the last quote is self-explanatory. All mankind is bound to one another for either the good or the bad. 
the blessings or the sufferings. It is this oneness or unity which all mankind shares with one another that allows atonement through a tzaddik. It allows it to occur due to that tzaddik being a fellow human sharing in humanity's unity. That being the case, the benefits of the supreme righteousness and devotion of a tzaddik can benefit all who attach themselves to him. Notice, who attach themselves to him. And I'll describe that further later. And by the way, this is one reason Messiah must be 100% human and not a God in the flesh. Otherwise, he would not be able to accomplish tikkun. He must be one of the humans in order to redeem and atone for humans. A 100% human. Now, let's go a little bit further and discuss atonement. Now, what we just got through discussing was basically the implication was atonement for individuals. Now we're going to discuss from the same book, atonement for an entire generation. So continuing with proof from Ramkal's The Way of God, that rabbinic Judaism teaches vicarious atonement, let's go with this quote. Quote, As a result of this principle, suffering and pain may be... Now this is an important quote. As a result of this principle... Suffering and pain may be imposed upon a tzaddik or righteous person as an atonement for his entire generation. Did you hear that? Suffering and pain may be imposed on a tzaddik as an atonement for his entire generation. Notice now, this is a Jewish book I'm reading, people. This is not a Christian book. Continuing, this tzaddik must then accept the suffering with love for the benefit of his generation, just as he accepts the suffering imposed upon him for his own sake. In doing so, he benefits his generation by atoning for it, and at the same time is himself elevated to a very great degree. For a tzaddik such as this is made into one of the leaders in the community of the future world, as discussed earlier. End quote. The one through whom atonement occurs accepts with love the suffering he must endure for the benefit of others. If such a tzaddik is not entirely perfect, which the quote I just, I just read refers to a tzaddik that isn't absolutely perfect. So if such a tzaddik is not entirely perfect, there is a small amount of suffering he must undergo for his own purification. However, as you will soon hear, such is not the case for the most exalted level of tzaddik, what is termed a completed tzaddik, since such a tzaddik is indeed perfect and deserving of nothing but good. It is the completed tzaddik who is able to effect the most far-reaching atonement for others. Note also again in the following quote how Ramkal stated that such a tzaddik is a leader in the future world of eternal bliss. Okay, talking about a normal tzaddik. Quote, Such suffering also includes cases 
where a tzaddik suffers because his entire generation deserves great punishments, bordering on annihilation, but is spared via the tzaddik's suffering. In atoning for his generation through his suffering, this tzaddik saves these people in this world and also greatly benefits them in the world to come, or heaven. End quote. So once again, we see how the tzaddik saves or atones for people in this world and then benefits them in the world to come. Now, remember, I'm reading from an Orthodox Jewish book, people. I'm reading from the way of God, from Rabbi Moshe Kamazato. This is, <laughs> and over and over and over, you're hearing it. Atoning, atoning, atoning. Vakaris atonement is being discussed here, people. So next, we begin to enter into a description of the most exalted and perfect human being imaginable, a characterization that is virtually identical to what the New Testament reveals regarding Yeshua, the Messiah. Okay, so the most perfected human is now introduced, the extremely rare, completed tzaddik. So, quote, Again, I'm still quoting from the way of God here. Quote, In addition, there is a special, higher type of suffering that comes to a tzaddik who is even greater and more highly perfected than the ones discussed above. This suffering, now, now listen to this quote, This suffering comes to provide the help necessary to bring about the chain of events leading to the ultimate perfection of mankind as a whole. End quote. Did you hear that? A completed tzaddik can bring about the perfection of all mankind. So, this just quoted material introduced us to the completed tzaddik, the perfectly devoted man of God. Through such a man, all of mankind is benefited, not simply a finite number of generations. So let's continue with the quote. Quote, According to the original plan, the sequence of worldly events require that man undergo at least some suffering before he and the world could attain perfection. This was required by the very fact that one of the basic concepts of man's predicament was that God should hold back his light and hide his presence, as discussed earlier. This became all the more necessary as a result of the corruption and spiritual damage caused by man's many sins, which held the good back even more and caused God's presence to become all the more hidden. The world and everything in it are therefore in a degraded evil state, and require that God's unfathomable wisdom bring about the numerous chains of events to achieve their rectification. Among the more important elements of this sequence is the requirement that man must be punished for his wickedness until the attribute of justice is satisfied. God arranged matters, however, now listen to this, God arranged matters, however, so that select, perfect individuals could rectify or correct 
things for others, as discussed earlier. The attribute of justice, therefore, relates to them, that is, to the tzaddik, rather than to the rest of the world in general. And that ends the quote. Now, what he means there is, so God's justice is enacted upon those tzaddikim, the completed tzaddik. In the case of the New Testament, God's justice was enacted upon Yeshua for the rest of the world, so that the rest of the world, those who attached themselves to him, would not have to go through it, would not have to go all through all the purification and endure the justice that was, is actually required on them. But Yeshua took it for them. The New Testament teaches this directly. And here we see, so does rabbinic Judaism. So once again, we see how God arranged matters to allow for tikkun, that is rectification, correction, or repair, to be performed by a select few in particular so as to assist the majority who are not so strong in faith and righteousness. Now, continuing with the quotes again, I'm, I'm continuing on with this quote from The Way of God. Quote, and this is an important quote, individuals such as these, now he's talking here about the completed tzaddik, the highest level tzaddik, the most perfected humans. Individuals such as these, however, are themselves perfect and are therefore worthy of only good, meaning, meaning that God has no just reason to give them anything but good. They deserve only good. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. They don't deserve any suffering. All right, so individuals such as these, however, are themselves perfect and are therefore worthy only of good. The only reason they suffer, and I'm, I'm continuing with the quote here, the only reason they suffer is because of others. And the attribute of justice, excuse me, the attribute of justice must therefore be satisfied with a small amount of suffering on their part, as with a large amount on the part of those who actually sinned, end quote. So we see clearly that these select tzaddikim suffer only because of the sins of others and not due to any sins that they commit because they haven't committed any. The completed tzaddik is sinless. Because of their absolute perfection, even a small amount of suffering by them, since it is unwarranted and unjust, affects or causes an enormous amount of purifying correction or atonement for others who justly deserve to suffer. All this is a consequence of the sharing unity of man and the availability among that unified humanity of the shared merit of the tzaddik, which reduces the deserved suffering of others if those others attach themselves to him. Attachment to him. That is what the New Testament would call being Christ-like or following Christ, which unfortunately very few Christians do. I have an entire series of discussions in audio format and on the website in, in, in written format. And it's the series which asks the question, does Christianity truly follow Christ? I, I very much hope you listen to that material. That's what Christians really need to hear. 
The answer to that question, by the way, is no. In fact, not only does Christianity avoid adequately teaching to follow Christ, it actually teaches against following Christ, and therefore teaches against attaching yourself to Christ. Therefore, atonement will not be affected, because if you do not attach yourself to the tzaddik, to Yeshua, then his atonement cannot help you. Please listen to that. I prove, very it's easy to prove, Christianity actually teaches against following Christ. It teaches against following the, the Yeshua of the New Testament. Christianity has created a, a different Jesus, a different Christ. And you might want to listen to the material in which I discuss Antichrist for more insight on that. Okay, now we're going to quote from the book, and we'll see how it teaches atonement all the way back to the very first sinners, Adam and Eve. So, continuing on with the quote from the book, The Way of God, and there'll be one more quote after this. Quote, Beyond that, the merit and power of these tzaddikim is also increased because of such suffering, that is, the suffering they endure even though it's unmerited. And this gives them greater ability to rectify the damage of others. They, that is, the completed tzaddik, can therefore not only rectify their own generation, but can also correct all the spiritual damage done from the beginning, from the time of the very first Sinners, end quote. Did you hear that? That the completed tzaddik can atone all the way back, all the way back to the beginning. And once again, I'm reading from a rabbinic Judaism source. Do not let a Jewish counter missionary lie to you and say that Judaism does not teach vicarious atonement. You're hearing it, people. You're hearing. Vicarious atonement as taught within rabbinic Judaism. But they don't want you to know that. But now you do know it. The perfect tzaddik, the completed tzaddik, can atone all the way back to Adam. Doesn't the New Testament and Paul say the same thing? Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, and also verse 45. Quote, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. My friend, that's basically what we just quoted from Ramkal. That's basically what he's saying. Now verse 45. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, quoting from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. And it is all from God, who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself and has given us the work of that reconciliation, which is that God in the Messiah was reconciling mankind to himself, not counting their sins against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of, reconcilia- of reconciliation. Now, when he says reconciling, he's basically meaning to do tikkun, to rectify. He's rectifying mankind through Yeshua. That's what Paul's teaching. He's teaching the same thing we're quoting from the way of God. And finally, from the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 2. For he is the kapara, or the means of atonement. That's literally what that word means. For he is the kapara, the means of atonement for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And I'm reading there from the complete Jewish Bible, which uses a term there, which, which is the term that would have been used by John if he had been speaking Hebrew, a kapora, the means of atonement. It's the same thing. people. This, this is just what the way of God teaches. Vicarious atonement is taught by Judaism. If they tell you otherwise, they're liars or they're stupid and don't even know what their own religion teaches. All right. So continuing with the quotes from Ramkal's important work, The Way of God. It is obvious that individuals such as these, now he's talking about the completed tzaddik, or in the case of the New Testament, Yeshua, it is obvious that individuals such as these will ultimately be the foremost leaders in the perfected community, which of course Yeshua will be, and the ones who are the very closest to God, which Yeshua is. And that ends the quote. So, they, that is the completed tzaddik, are the very closest to God, which is one reason Yeshua could say he and God are one. There is much more on the oneness principle that Christianity, as is often the case, completely misunderstands. But I will reserve that for another discussion. However, there is material in Judaism that talks about how, for instance, Messiah ben Yosef, can be is like is one with God. Masab in Yosef is like a a walking bit Hamikdash, a walking holy of holies. Masab in Yosef has the Shekinah or the divine presence dwelling on him, which basically a lot of that, most of that, the New Testament says also, but he says it differently. So now for the final quote. Quote: All this is not only the result of justice but also follows from the actual order of things as discussed earlier. As a result of man's sins, corruption is increased and incorporated into both man and the world. This in turn causes God's light to be increasingly retracted and hidden. The more this corruption is cleansed, on the other hand, and the more people are purified of it, the more God's light is once again revealed Step by step. Now listen to this. Suffering. I'm continuing the quote. Suffering is the thing that God created to cleanse this pollution, both in general and in particular. Thus, through the suffering of these select individuals, that is the tzaddikim, creation in general is cleansed and step by step the world is brought closer to perfection. End quote. And there you have it, my friend. Atonement through the suffering of Messiah, or to be more exact, through the suffering of the completed tzaddik, and to a lesser extent, lesser tzaddikim. Atonement through the suffering 
of an individual, vicarious atonement through the suffering of a completed tzaddik, is the product of the Torah-based faith of Jewish thought. It is not the product of anti-Torah Christianity. It originates from Judaism, from the Torah-based faith of Rabbinic Judaism. It does not originate from Christianity. Pagan Rome-based Christianity, which actually began under Emperor Hadrian and was solidified under Emperor Constantine, hijacked, redefined, distorted, and distributed a corrupted New Testament faith system and a corrupted understanding of atonement. May God grant us a speedy return of truth and an end to Christianity's corruption of it. And may he open the eyes of the Jews to their Messiah ben Yosef, Yeshua, and complete its adik, who will return as Messiah ben David, Messiah ben David. And that concludes the discussion. And I just want to, again, state, go back and listen to this, listen to the quotes, and you will see. It is very clear. It is undeniable. Rabbinic Judaism itself promotes vicarious atonement. Any rabbinic Jew who says otherwise is either ignorant of what his religion teaches or is a blatant, willful, shameless liar. That concludes our discussion of vicarious atonement. Thank you and goodbye.